everyone, this is Sam Black with the final episode of Drafting Archetypes for Neon Dynasty. We'll, at the end of this episode, have covered all 10 basic color pairs plus an extra episode for multicolor, and the timing works out just right for us to move on to Nuke Penna next week after uh, I, and likely many of you, have had a chance to play in the paper pre-release but in advance of its online release. As for this episode itself, as always, notes are available that I'll be referencing uh, for people who want to follow along on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. And let's get into it. So green-white is the fourth best performing archetype in Neon Dynasty, which might not sound that impressive. It's only a little bit better than average. It is the best performing non-black archetype. Black, I think, is pretty firmly the strongest color. Uh, the three best uh, performing archetypes are all black, blue-black, red-black, and green-black. And green-white is the best performing pair that doesn't have black. So if black isn't open uh, in your seat, because other people at the table uh, correctly want to be black, Green-white might be a pretty strong plan to have as your like plan B if black's not available, if your plan A had been to prioritize black, which gives you a little bit of a hint about, you know, when and why would you want to be this color pair? Well, it's a strong color pair if black's not available. Okay, great. So this is the last archetype we're talking about. So I don't want to imagine that we don't already have all the other context that we have about this format. So for example, Anyone who's been paying attention to the data that we have about this format knows that, for example, Imperial Oath is generally the strongest white common, followed by Spirited Companion. Notably, in green-white, Spirited Companion performs about 1% better than Imperial Oath. That kind of event, like noting that a pair of cards flip in a certain archetype, should lead to asking questions about like why is that what's special about this archetype they're both white cards you can play both of them why is spirited companion better here and the most obvious answer is that green white is the enchantment uh, color pair you have the most synergies that pay you for playing an enchantment spirited companion is an enchantment that replaces itself making it easier to play more enchantments it also plays really well with cards like season of renewal being a cheap creature and enchantment that goes to the graveyard reasonably easily and then can give you value that matters in the late game in the form of an extra card makes it much easier to use your season renewal profitably early or, or earlier. Similarly, Geothermal Kami is another card that's much better if Spirited Companion is in your deck, having a play that costs two mana that curves well into Geothermal Kami to let you gain three life and draw an extra card is a really, really strong interaction. So those are two different green cards that play specifically well with Spirited Companions. So that's going to come up in green-white and it's not going to come up when you pair white with other colors. Also, while Spirited Companion is, I think, better in green-white, you could also reasonably argue that Imperial Oath is weaker because what Imperial Oath does is it gives you a lot of uh, ground presence and board control for a lot of mana. And that happens to be the exact thing that green is best at giving you. So Imperial Oath is somewhat redundant with 
green cards in general. So when you combine Spirited Companions better than normal, Imperial Oath is a little bit weaker than normal, you end up with Spirited Companion performing appreciably ahead of Imperial Oath, where usually Imperial Oath is better. And that tells you something about what's going on with this color pair. Another card that notably performs differently in this archetype than others is Tales of Master's Shiro. That's the five mana common green saga that puts plus one plus one counters on things twice and then becomes a five five haste vigilance. A solid green common, like roughly third best overall in any archetype, but uh, is the best performing green common in green white. So why? Well, with, for example, red green, which is another archetype where it would make sense for this card to play well. It gives you plus one plus one counters that modify creatures, and then it gives you a haste threat. You'll note that in red green, I focused on this deck's desire to be really aggressive and really low curve, and you don't really want very many five drops. I think that green white's a completely different animal. Green white in this format is very, very you could argue mid-range or you could argue controlling. It's definitely not like an aggro deck. The, the best performing one drop in green-white is Fang of Shigeki, which performs quite well as compared to like a more aggressive one drop in the colors like the Moth Rider, which does not perform well at all. Uh, similarly, Jukai Trainee, a reasonable defensive creature, like a, a reasonable creature that plays any role, performs pretty badly while Spirited Companion and Bamboo Grove Archer perform much better. Both of those are more defensive, more value-oriented, more synergy-oriented. Era of Enlightenment is another card that performs much better than Jukai Trainee. Which again, you get life gain and scry and first strike. a 2-2 first strike is pretty good on defense. But the early game that you want in green and white is defensive. And a lot of the reason there is that uh, the main one of the main strengths of green-white is enchantment synergies, and sagas are kind of the best enchantments, and you generally want to play a bunch of them, and sagas take time. So green-white in this format is really about like buying time to get the most value out of its sagas. Also, notably, green-white in this format just has very good and plentiful removal in a way that is uncommon for green-white across formats historically. Green is offering Master's Rebuke and Fade into Antiquity at common, which is, you know, just two cards, but they're both like pretty good versatile removal spells, and that's about as good as you can hope for out of green. And then white has Repel the Vile, Intercessor's Arrest, and Wander's uh, Intervention, all at common. Notably and somewhat surprisingly to me, in green-white, Repel the Vile actually performs better than Intercessor's Arrest, which performs substantially better than Gideon's Intervention. I think that I probably would have expected that Intercessor's Arrest performed better than Repel the Vile. That's not the case, despite the fact that uh, Intercessor's Arrest has you know enchantment synergies in the color pair. Regardless, there's just a lot of removal and then also a lot of kind of just like card advantage value. Like you have scrying with Era of Enlightenment and Imperial Oath. You have uh, generating 
like soft card advantage with like spirited companion where you're like up a card but the card is a one one so it's like not really up a card but then if you combine it with season of renewal or geothermal kami it turns into like real card advantage and then like tamio safekeeping is a great kind of like more defensive than offensive tempo play like the reason that i think that tamio safekeeping is more defensive first of all obviously it gains life that matters more if you're the defender But also, if you're an aggressive deck, you really want your combat tricks and pump spells to pump your creatures so your small creatures can attack into your opponent's big creatures. Tameo's Safekeeping is a combat trick that is good on expensive creatures and bad on cheap creatures, which is very unusual for combat tricks. But where Tameo's Safekeeping is best is kind of like re-tricking, where you know, you block, your opponent uh, uses like an iron hoof bore or something, and then you use the Himeo safekeeping. Or just you play a big creature that's trying to block and stabilize. Your opponent uses a removal spell, and then you play Tameo safekeeping to keep your creature around so that you can uh, like not only block that turn, but have like a guaranteed safe block. And just in general, like the smaller your creature is, the more likely it is that a pump spell is going to like win combat with a bigger creature and like let you get value there. Whereas Tamiya's safekeeping, protecting a small creature, you're not getting a very good uh, return on investment for your mana. Like you're spending, you're using this one mana trick to save like a two mana creature. You're theoretically up a mana and that you kind of like played your two, like you played another copy of your two mana creature by protecting the two mana creature that you had for one mana. But you also had to invest like keeping that mana open and not knowing when you were necessarily going to be able to play it. Whereas if you, you know, save a four mana or a five mana creature with Tameo safekeeping, you're getting four or five mana worth of value out of your one mana spell. You're getting much more paid for going through the trouble of leaving the mana available. Also, it's likely to just have a bigger impact on the battlefield to keep the larger creature in play. That's kind of just what it means to save that much mana. So Tameo Safekeeping, another card that's stronger when you're the one with the bigger creatures, which Green-White's good at doing. All of this is to get back to Tales of Master Sashiro and to just say that because you're planning to play a longer game, the needing to wait multiple turns after you spend five mana on a saga to get this big creature is a deal breaker for like a really aggressive deck. But for a mid-range deck that's already very well set up to stay alive, the extra turns just don't matter very much. And what matters is just, well, what's the most size, like the most impact I can get out of my cards? And Tales of Master Shiro is, you know, like a common that gives you 7-7 worth of numbers. Not all at once. And the fact that it's like divided over time and across multiple bodies potentially is somewhat good, somewhat bad. But it's just like ignoring cost entirely. It's not always easy to get just like that much total impact out of a common. And green white is sometimes just looking for, I want a lot of total impact where Tails excels. Also, you know, like putting the plus one, plus one counter on, say, Golden Tail Disciple is going to be put better than putting it on many other things. So there's a little bit of, oh, counters are better with keywords. White traditionally has more keywords. But honestly, like in this set and given the white creatures that you want to prioritize, I don't think you're getting that much extra value out of like the synergy between counters and keywords. I think you're mostly just more interested in 
powerful late game card in green-white than you are in most of the other archetypes. As you may be anticipating when talking about any kind of archetype that's playing a longer game, has a bunch of good defensive cards to buy time early, has a curve with like good defensive two drops, and then your three mana spells are mostly like removal spells, maybe Golden Tail Disciple. That that leaves a nice little slot where you can play mana fixing. You can use Network Terminal or perhaps more synergistically Grafted Growth, and you can splash pretty easily in this archetype. You also have Commune with Spirits, which performs appreciably better in this archetype than others because Commune with Spirits is much, much, much better when it has a good chance of finding a land or enchantment rather than just like, oh, this is usually a land, but sometimes I get like an enchantment, but I don't really get to pick when I get what or whatever. Um, if you have a lot of enchantments, it's like always like this abundant harvest where it's like you get your pick of land or non-land, then it's much better. So... Playing green-white means having a lot of enchantments. Having a lot of enchantments means commune with spirits is better. Commune with spirits better means you play with more commune with spirits. Playing with more commune with spirits means that splashing is easier. Era of Enlightenment, to a lesser extent, Imperial Oath as scry functions a little bit as fixing. And then, of course, there are the like dedicated fixers that you can play. Grafted Growth, Network Terminal, as I mentioned, also Greater Tanuki. So the archetype allegedly can splash pretty well. This Claim is supported pretty cleanly if you look at the best performing rares in green-white. They are very much just like the best performing single pip rares in the format. If you have a powerful rare and you're playing green-white, you should just splash the powerful rare. At least according to the stats, the, the rares don't function very much worse than they would in like an act that's their color. Notably, uh, or interestingly, in a deck that's looking to splash a bunch, the top performing common to splash is my personal pet card, Kami of Terrible Secrets. I'm not saying it is my opinion that Kami is the best thing that you can splash. I actually think that splashing Kami in green-white is a little bit tricky because you need a lot of artifacts, and green-white doesn't necessarily have a lot of artifacts, but just historically, Kami of Terrible Secrets is the non-green or white common that wins the most for people in general in this archetype. So uh, props, Kami of Terrible Secrets. That honestly mostly uh, covers what I wanted to talk about here. Um, you may notice as we're getting later in the format, people have a better understanding to work with. And I'm just kind of trying to build on that and, you know, drop the extra little pieces to figuring out this archetype. Also, we're being totally honest, we are already into all of Nuke Pen has been revealed. People are uh, looking forward to getting on the next set. I think this podcast isn't going to be, I, I don't think that people are looking to learn all that much about Green White in this format right now. I think that this is largely being recorded for historical or archival purposes people want to reference for flashback events or something like that. Also, I want to take the opportunity while talking about green white at the end of a format to look for like larger lessons here. For example, in the previous format, Crimson Vow, green and white I felt wanted to be as aggressive as possible. You wanted to just like have the lowest curve you could and a lot of combat tricks and here, this format is totally different. 
And I think that there's something interesting to just kind of taking a step back and thinking about what that tells us about this, these colors played together in limited, what to look for, how to understand when green white wants to be aggressive versus when green white wants to be controlling. So given, given where we are, I want to talk about that a little bit. In Vow, green and white explicitly has a attack triggers mechanic in training. And it has a lot of pump spells and aggressively costed attackers to support that. In Neon Dynasty, it has none of that. The pump spells that exist, like Favor of Jukai and whatever the white one is, probably someone will tell me soon. The, the plus three, plus three when you channel it thing. And then I guess there's the like uh, plus one, plus one, and then another plus one, plus one counter if it's an enchantment. These cards are like, I, I almost never see them played. And th there's not much reason to. Like what you're looking for is do the creatures want to attack? Do they have like good abilities when they attack? Do they have like evasion? Do they have you know, an attack trigger, do that, like, something. G give me a reason to attack. Give me a way to attack. And the, like, the creatures in this format just are not that way in green-white. They're very, very defensive. Also, you know, what's the removal like? How much hard removal is there? What's the late game like? Do I win if I play a longer game, or do I lose if I play a longer game? Like, Imperial Oath... Tales of Master Shiro, Geothermal Kami, Harmonious Emergence, Jukai Preserver are all really big in this format and can uh, kind of like turn the game around or take over a mid game pretty easily. Whereas in a lot of sets, there just aren't, you know, that many or that like it, it, there aren't really good like mid range creatures available to this color pair. And so you just kind of need to win faster. So that's that's what to look for. How how well can you play an early game? How well can you play a late game? Pretty obvious stuff. But these two sets, I think, really highlight pretty far extremes of those spectrums. That covers what I wanted to say about green-white here. So I'm going to turn it over to Twitch chat for any questions on this uh, green-white in, in Neon Dynasty or bigger picture green-white in Limited, especially evaluating what your role as a green-white deck wants to be type questions would both be germane to the topic at hand. While we're waiting, I want to encourage anyone to uh, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. No new patrons this week, not terribly surprising as we're getting to the end of Neon Dynasty. My structure of this podcast <laughs> definitely has waxing and waning moments as a function of when an episode comes out relative to the start of a season. I suspect that's going to be the case with most limited podcasts, but this one in particular, that's how it is. Anyway, as for questions, first up, what do you think about Harmonious Emergence in Green-White X? It Sirkovich apparently found out that it's one of the most improving in multiples cards, which is interesting to me. That is also interesting to me. So one, I would expect that Harmonious Emergence would not get better in multiples because it's relatively expensive and it like occupies a land 
And if you're not like, if you draw two of them, unless you, you know, have a land on five and then another land on turn six, you're not going to get like multiple haste attackers out of it. On the other hand, of course, uh, if you do play a four or five haste and then another four or five haste, that's a lot of damage and power and total size. And, you know, sometimes your opponent has a good answer to the first one, but they're unlikely to have like good answers to multiples. So it's not like inconceivable to me. I'm not like, there's no way. It's not like this card has such clear diminishing returns that like that has to just be a fluke of the data. It can't be representing anything real. I, I could imagine that it represents something real, that the more harmonious emergences you have, the more it like supports a strong game plan that leans into them. Where, for example, I think that careful cultivation is not a very good card, but you know, if you're if you have a bunch of harmonious emergence type cards, it might make more sense to have a like general curve where you're gonna like ramp onto and then start like playing these like big hasty threats and turning the corner on, uh, you know, maybe turn three, you play a Jukai Preserver, turn four, Harmonious Emergence with haste, you know, Harmonious Emergence on an untapped land, attack for eight kind of situation. As to setting aside the Harmonious Emergence in multiples, I think Harmonious Emergence is a good card in this uh, deck. Harmonious Emergence is a card that I was like, down on and concerned about early on because it's you know quite bad if your opponent has like a repel the vial to just exile your land but most of the time you don't get two for one by it and it does pair super super well with tamio's safekeeping because safekeeping both protects your creature from one of those two for ones and has the added bonus of because you can enchant a forest and give it vigilance it can like really well like hide your Tamiya safekeeping where your opponent has no reason to suspect that you're leaving up the one mana trick because you're playing it on an untapped land and attacking with a vigilance creature and so like the the combo of harmonious emergence Tamiya safekeeping I think is actually just a really strong like combo to build a deck around. I kind of glossed over talking about how like green white is mid-range or control in this format. And I think that those are actually pretty different ideas. I think that it can be a control deck, especially if you happen to have Colossal Sky Turtle and you have like a Sky Turtle Season of Renewal loop with some good removal and like you have this kind of long game inevitability plan. I think more likely it's a mid-range deck where you spend your early turns kind of turtling up and then you turn the corner with Jukai Preserver, Harmonious Emergence, Tales of Masters Shiro, and you really do start attacking. And you play as a proactive deck, but you play as like a proactive big deck where you start attacking on turn five rather than like a you know low to the ground, red-green style proactive deck where you start attacking on turn two or three. There's a significant difference in terms of how you're prioritizing cards, what you want your two drops to do when you're planning to be like a beatdown strategy that starts beating down on turn five versus when you want to be like a, you know, aggro deck that starts beating down on turn two. So Harmonious Emergence has a place. That place is 
definitely somewhat contextual based on what your deck's trying to do. I think that it's rarely like actively bad in green-white, but it's a lot better in the more proactive, more mid-range versions rather than the more controlling versions. Question is, given that the plan is to have early defensive creatures and win late, how many five plus mana cards do you think is appropriate? Is there a certain number of threats we should aim to have? So the five plus mana cards is interesting in this color pair because you get some wiggle room out of um, cards like uh, the channel Samurai and Tanuki that you know can give you extra mana or can be an expensive threat depending on whether you channel them or cast them. So you can you know use essentially split cards to kind of like have multiple different numbers of five plus casting cost cards in the same deck. You can also also like how much you're playing, like how many copies of cards like Grafted Growth has a significant impact on how many cards do you want that cost five or more mana. As to an actual answer to the question, give me some numbers. Pass. Um, the, the numbers, it just depends too much in terms of like, well, Season of Renewal is not a five drop, but it's a card that you don't want to cast on turn three that's going to eat up five or more mana worth of mana that you spend on the game to get anything out of the card and like community secrets is a one drop but if you have a good density of high impact enchantments then a lot of the time it's gonna like put a five mana card in your hand and we're playing green so there's like a big range in terms of just like number of non-land cards in our deck that like give us mana um, and what turn we get that mana on, and that's going to change the number a lot. And what specific rares do we have that are modifying our end game versus our inevitability? Like, how much total strength do we need to get out of cards like Tales of Master Shishiro to end the game versus, like, do I want my curve to be really low because I have a Shigeki that's going to give me just like the ability to spend huge amounts of mana late. And so I don't want to play a bunch of expensive cards because I want to channel all of that mana into channeling Shigeki. Um, so it's, it's really going to vary from deck to deck based on the needs of the deck. You should have a game plan where you understand what amount of resistance am I going to see in the time frame that it's going to take me to try to win the game and how much total power, by which I mean like impactfulness of cards, am I going to need to overcome the opposition that I expect to face in that time frame? And how well can my cards do that? And that's going to be a function of how much removal you have. And for example, a card like Spinning Wheel Kick that can break a game open on turn nine if you've been hanging out for a while and you have a lot of stuff in play and they have a lot of stuff in play, that's going to make it really easy for you to win, which is like geothermal counties and Jukai preservers. Whereas those cards might potentially like get bricked and you might need more powerful cards to win, just to like have enough impact to beat your opponent's ground defenses if you don't have a spinning wheel kick. So like spinning wheel kick, just being somewhere in your deck is gonna like radically transform 
What will it take for me to overpower whatever defenses my opponent has built up while I was like waiting for my sagas to do their thing and stuff? It's a difficult question and there's no easy answer in terms of just like literally what number am I looking for? Next up, as you've highlighted, green-white is a color pair that can be highly aggressive or quite slow depending on the set. Is there anything that might signify that both extremes might be viable in a given set? Good question. And I think that the answer is just, you know, the, the analysis, like, is this tool there? Is this tool there? Is this tool there that you should be doing for each of these decks? If the analysis is you know all the tools that you need for the decks to be successful, you run through that checklist and it's just like, yep, that's available, that's available, that's available. And then, you know, from there, it's just a matter of like, okay, how accessible are these cards? Am I willing to prioritize them at a rate that is higher than other people are prioritizing such that I can count on getting them? And that, you know, that's not to say, do these cards exist and are they underdrafted? They're just like, you know, like Spirited Companion is not underdrafted. It's drafted highly, but when I really want them, I just take them over basically everything and end up getting them and it's fine. But like if Spirited Companion were drafted the way that it is, and I thought it were like, you know, a bit worse than it is, and I wasn't willing to take it, you know, first or second pick. I was hoping to get a sixth pick, and I'm just like, I'm never seeing these sixth pick Spirited Companions that I was counting on. My deck doesn't work. And then it's like, well, I can either just accept that Spirited Companions not in the set for me because I never end up with it because I'm not willing to take it first pick, or I can start taking it first pick. And so you need to assess like, okay, these cards exist. They're available. Are they going to be available at times that I'm willing to take them? Uh, will my deck be good if I spend those picks on those cards? And it's not that hard to imagine a format that does successfully support both, especially if you think about like Ravnica style sets where they're only supporting really like three to five color pairs instead of supporting like 10 color pairs. When they do that, there's more room to give a color pair tools to be drafted in different ways. And so when that's what's going on there, it's more likely there's going to be like an aggressive way to draft it and a controlling way to draft it. But often in these sets that focus on all the color pairs evenly, they have to choose more narrow directions for the color pairs and the set will more strongly communicate, no, this pair needs to be this way. Next up, if going for a more beatdown deck, I'm assuming the kind of meh white tricks get a lot better. Tricks are more important for beatdown decks, but at a certain point, you just have to acknowledge the like objective strength of the card. I can imagine decks that want to play Regent's Authority, which is the uh, one mana white trick that I mentioned earlier, you know, gives a plus one plus one counter if it's an enchantment and another plus one plus one. That card, like, I can imagine your creatures are almost all enchantment creatures. You're planning to get in combat a lot. You're being aggressive. It's a one mana trick. Like I, I could imagine a deck that was willing to play it. It's hard to imagine getting to the point where you're like, oh yeah, Regent's Authority is going to be awesome in my deck because it's just not that strong of a card. Yes, I, I think that they are usable. No, I don't think that they should ever be like prioritized. Part of that is that, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that the, like, would would I want this in a really aggressive green-white deck? Maybe. Would I want to be a really aggressive green-white deck? No. <laughs> there, there's, there's no draw to that. There's a follow-up here that Favorite Jukai and Regents Authority have good win rates. 
at 55%. Uh, I, I would suggest that 55 is not a good win rate for an archetype that wins 57% of its matches. 55% is like there are uh, 17 commons in green and white that win at 56.8% or better. I think 15 commons that win at 57% or better. You don't need to play. You don't need very many more than like 15 to 17 commons that you're just like willing to play in this color combination. To dip 2% below that is acceptable under certain circumstances if you're sure that it's a, like a card that's fitting your strategy or giving something that your deck needs. But in general, certainly shouldn't be viewed as like a good win rate. With that said, I'm going to put a cap on Neon Dynasty and come back to next week to get into talking about Nuke Penna in some capacity. I don't know exactly what I'm going to focus on. It really depends on what my experiences playing with it at the pre-release and studying it are like and where I feel I can most be helpful. So thanks for tuning in, especially to all of the diehard fans of either Neon Dynasty or the podcast. Appreciate sticking through in the these, you know, final episodes at the end of the season. And I'm glad that we are getting into a new set next week. Oh, side note, I often record the first podcast, a new set at a different time next week because of the way that the pre-release is working. I do think that I'm going to be able to record at my usual Wednesday time. Um, so see everyone back here next week. Uh, have a good week and most importantly, enjoy the pre-release. Anyone who has the opportunity to play. For light speed. Bye.